Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Yeah, we're, we're definitely, uh, we're not like hard copy or anything. We're not going to be asking the the sensationalized questions or, or anything of that nature. But we do want to uh, introduce our listeners, though, uh, to a legendary video game designer, programmer, musician. I mean, you've got a hell of a resume. Uh, but my brothers uh, and I had played many of his games growing up, and uh, we're honored to, to have Al Lowe join us here on Digital Dissection. How are you doing, Al? I'm great. How are you guys? Everybody good? Good. good. Yeah, very good. As good as I can be for a a mild Wisconsin winter so far, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, I appreciate uh, you joining the show because, as I mentioned, not just to my brothers, but also uh, on other episodes of our show, when we played a video game or, you know, any kind of production like that, we, we tended to actually pay attention to the names. And uh, and Sierra did, did a pretty good job of actually putting uh, developers' pictures on boxes and you know, and cover art. So in, in a way, I mean, I, I feel like we've, we've, uh, we've seen quite a bit of you throughout the years just because of that. Well, I'd like to take uh, full responsibility for that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was a fan early on of movies and of uh, uh, names above the title. And uh, I convinced uh, Roberta that she should have her name above the title on the boxes. Yeah. Because I figured, well, if she gets it, then Ken can't say, well, you can't have it. <laughs> so that way I would get it, too. Uh, and so my evil plot worked perfectly. So <laughs> I heard that uh, Roberta was like the, uh, like Ken might have been the head of the operation, but Roberta was the neck and she makes the head turn, right? Is that what, is that a good assumption? That's, a, that's an excellent uh, analogy. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yes, she did. She pushed him uh, relentlessly to do um, uh, many of the progressive things that the company did. Um, it was easier for Ken to say, oh, all right, I'll just, I'll get somebody to do that than it was to keep, to keep telling her no, no, no. So, so, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I think Roberta doesn't get the credit that she's due for the, um, uh, remarkable advances that Sierra made in the industry. Um, and, and because Ken and Roberta were, um, out in the country, they they were up in the mountains, you know, above Fresno. Um, they weren't in Silicon Valley, and so they didn't get the, the, you know, the recognition that the guys got who were in the, you know, in the group. Uh, yeah. They were kind of outsiders and uh, haven't received the, enough recognition. My, I was pleased that she was just honored uh, uh, by the 
gaming community again um, for that. So, so maybe that's being corrected. <laughs> yeah, I, we've we've always uh, always been been fans of Sierra, and of course, with uh, with the hostile takeover and everything, it didn't. I know it didn't settle well with you and, and many others in the gaming community, uh, and you know that's why we're happy to to celebrate a lot of of properties on this show um because you know we're we're children of, my brother and i are children of the you know the 80s 90s and 2000s of course and um but it it meant that we were kind of exposed to you know some of the infancies of technology and then you know bringing it into the modern age and everything but um but yeah on this show though what we like to do a bit more of is to obviously talk about things that you've worked on but we also like to talk about some of the things that a wikipedia article may miss and I've noticed when I look at a lot of the, the content that's out there for you, sometimes you have to dig a little bit deeper to understand who Al was, you know, before video games, you know, even before teaching to an extent, there's not a lot out there. Now, is that by design or are we saving it for maybe an autobiography of some kind? Well, um, no, I think it's because nobody gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong, but... <laughs> Did you have I, a leisure suit back then before yeah, all of this? I was wondering. Um, uh, you know, my background, I, I uh, grew up in a little tiny um, country town. I think the um, uh, post office was in a town about five, seven miles away. Uh, and it had maybe 500 people. Uh, in my little community, I think there were maybe 100 people or 200. We were west of St. Louis County, uh, out in the county, uh, west of St. Louis. Um, okay. And, uh, uh, you know, we were, uh, we were, I grew up in the country. I mean, it was, you know, I had no, no uh, sophistication or city life whatsoever. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, I was always interested in music. I was always interested. I was always a good reader. I learned to read young and um, uh, I had an older sister who uh, taught me um, uh, how to read, taught me music and uh, got me interested in that kind of stuff. Later taught me to touch type. She was a big yeah. believer in touch typing. And I, 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 that boy, has that made a difference in my life? <laughs> so, I mean, all those things um, happened. But, but when I was in grade school, I was the kid who jumped up and fixed the projector when the when it jammed or I was the guy who who uh, fixed the PA system when you know it had a bad connection or uh, I'm the guy who wired the speaker cables and, and you know that was just I was the proto geek I guess you'd call it back in those days so um, but I was always interested in music and uh, I started playing professionally when I was 13 and uh, never had a job in high school other than play music um, I had friends. What did you, what were, did you play? What were you? Saxophone. I saw you win a saxophone in a much older interview for like yeah. '94. Uh huh. So, yeah, I, yeah, I started playing saxophone. It would be 1958, maybe or '60, something like that. Long time ago. Um, and uh, I've played professionally ever since. Um, I I, uh, I don't get as much work as I used to, but. I don't care because I don't need the money. You know, it's like uh, back in those days, I would play anything for anybody. And now it's like, well, no, I don't want to play like that. I don't want that music. I, I'll, you know. So I, I'm in two big bands now, currently. Um, I uh, play lead alto in both of them. And uh, 
I play in a saxophone quartet. We do classical music and Christmas music and and just just kind of general concerts or like that. Yeah, it's a it's a hoop. And, and based on what I know about you, Al, you always want to leave a little bit more, right? You always want to want them desiring more. And <laughs> yeah. maybe we're we're picking and, and, and being selective about those uh, those shows. Is that what we're we're getting more towards? <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get too far away from it, there was something that uh, we found through a little bit of research because you did a Reddit uh, Ask Me Anything a few years ago. And I wanted to dig into your younger years a little bit because you'd mentioned that part of your sense of humor and how you acquired it was because you thought you'd get beat up far less if you were funny. <laughs> and <laughs> I, uh, Well, I, I was, I was the, always younger. I skipped third grade. And, oh, hey, and I did too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. And, and uh, uh, so I was always the youngest kid, and and I wasn't very big, you know. I was smaller, uh, and so yeah, I could. I was an easy target for um, uh, for bullies and stuff. But I found, you know, if I made them laugh, they wouldn't hit me again. So that <laughs> that's kind of how I got into comedy. Maybe I should have done that instead of getting picked on all the time instead. Yeah, yeah. Nate just got his ass kicked. That's I just, just got, what he just he went with instead. Time, yeah. yeah, I, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> I did take up music though, so yeah. I was going to say Nate played baritone. Uh, I I just played the uh, recorder because they forced me to for a little bit, and, yeah. and then I got into football. So a little bit different. But uh, another aspect of this, before we get away from it too, is that I, I understood that you were a bit of a prankster as you when you were younger. Now, I, I had two questions on this. What kind of pranks were you pulling, and did that carry into adulthood? Because I really hope they did. Well, um, sure, of course it did. Um, I can't, I can't think of a, anything good right now to tell you about that, but, but, uh, um, yeah, I was always interested in, um, joking around and in uh, puns and double entendres and, and just jokes per se, uh, to the extent that one of the first things I did after I got a computer was compile a joke database. Uh, and I ended up using those jokes in my games. Um, <laughs> and then when I got out of writing games, I still had a lot of jokes left over. So uh, in 1998, I started a daily joke email that I have sent out over 10,000 unique jokes uh, since that time. Uh, I sent out two a day every weekday, and I've done that for 22 years. I got That's mine this incredible. morning, so there you go. First there thing you in the morning, yeah. Another yeah. satisfied free customer. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I'm really happy you brought that up because uh, when I was looking at like your Twitter as well and and having to subscribe to the newsletter, I, I just couldn't believe how how you would have that much. You know how you could do two jokes every single day, and I imagine that it had to have been something like that where you just you you've been collecting for a long time and and dedicated to to those well, jokes when i started it i had about a thousand jokes and i thought well what can i do with these i don't want to waste them i've spent all this time gathering them and yeah. so i thought well i'll send them out and until they run out and when they run out i'll you know that'd be the end of it um what i didn't figure on was that people would uh send me more jokes to uh fill in and suddenly i got more jokes than i sent out and uh, it became a self-fulfilling list. So, uh, well, every once in a while, I'll run out of some particular, like um, I'm a little short of new Christmas jokes this year. 
So mm. if anybody's got any Christmas jokes, uh, send them to me. But um, uh, but just um, I collect them, and as I, uh, I, I well, I, I, you don't want to go into the mechanics of it all, but but basically, I've kind of automated a lot of it so that I can uh, uh, send out something uh, in a minimal amount of time and effort. Uh, but the real f the real work of the whole list has been to um, edit the jokes and make them tighter and funnier and uh, uh, more professional. I mean, I, I, a lot of people don't know how to tell a joke. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sure. and there's a lot of bad grammar and a lot of spelling and stuff. And I work hard to fix mm -hmm. all that stuff because I, I, I want to be proud of what I sent out. So anyway, that's, yeah. uh, that's it. So if anybody's interested, they go to allo.com and uh, uh click a button and, and you sign up and you, you get two jokes every weekday morning one of the two jokes will be clean <laughs> well we, we uh we don't ask much of the dissection crew so this is kind of like a tongue-in-cheek thing maybe uh we'll actually ask the dissection folks to go check it out and we'll, we'll of course share your links and everything but sure. um that actually kind of oh go ahead think, Nate. it was making me think you know, just, i was refreshing because it's been a little while since i played laser suit larry and um, me too yeah, the, the copy protection you guys put on the, the remake, the, uh, was it the, what year was it, 96, 97? I can remember, go ahead. Well, was it 91, maybe? One. I think it was 91. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, yes, yeah. But uh, I realized that even to this day, you still stump me. I don't, I'm not going to go through and like cheat my way through the copy protection. But I remember Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I feel like I should know these things by now. Like, you, you, well, got me. you should know. Yeah. You got me on what a Nehru jacket was. I was like, I got to go look this up now. Oh, yeah. And, and so we used to, we had an encyclopedia set in our computer room, and so our parents would just they, they left their own devices. We could go look half this stuff up. So it was actually it, kind yeah. of a learning experience for us to get through all of it. Yeah, we were learning well, before. Yeah, yeah. Always <laughs> a teacher. Was that your idea to do that? I. I I would like to say it was, but I believe it was Ken Williams. Uh, he was really into Trivial Pursuit back okay. in the 80s. And um, when we talked about uh, the game and when, we were, I, when I was developing the game, it, it, it wasn't very dirty, but the topic was kind of risque. And so uh, we said, well, do we really want our kids playing this game? Uh, we both had children. God, my kid must have been 10 years old then, I suppose. Um, and uh, uh, it would be the kind of thing that would interest him, you know. So so we thought, well, well, we should do something for it, but it can't be just a, you know, how old are you? Okay, thanks. You know, that was kind of stupid. So yeah, we, we thought we'd make people prove it. Well, we, we weren't old enough to, to get a copy of the game, uh, as, as I would say, legally, back when we first started playing it. So... Oh, you were old enough. You just didn't pay for it. <laughs> I was okay, going to say, okay. I, I mean, Al, Al, he's, he knows. Wait, he's, he's the lawyer? <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to say, Al, you, you've probably heard this far more times than you, you care to, that most of us played the first Leisure Suit Larry because someone had pirated it, you know, and, yeah, and that's. Sure. And that's how mostly that went. And, you know, later people would, you know, probably purchase it more often. But I, I can't yeah. tell you how many people I have met, uh, uh, you know, outside of, a game situation and and uh, they asked me what i do and I say, oh i played that game 
And I said, did you pay for it? That's always my first question. And usually the answer is, I think I paid for some of the later ones. Yeah. If it makes you feel better, the original discs that I borrowed to install it, they were legitimate. <laughs> they belong to a neighbor. So, so you stole it fair and square. <laughs> That's a whole other story I tell off the air. But Well, what what I mean to say is that I, I plan on buying you a coffee once we once we jump off because uh, you know we've had a couple other video game developers on this show as well. And I think one of the most criminal aspects of the industry is how there are no royalties for you. You know, it's not like how if a musician gets a song, you know, played in a commercial, they're they're yeah. getting checks in the mail. And uh, so, yeah, I, I totally believe in in supporting creators after the games come out in, in the ways that they'll actually see versus, you know, buying it off of a GOG or, you know. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, GOG has sold a lot of copies of my stuff and they've never sent me 10 cents. And uh, yeah. it's been absolutely uh, uh, all complimentary on my part. Uh, I actually put a page on my website um, uh, to... Um, uh, how did I word it? I'm trying to think of something about, uh, um, I, I'll grant you uh, uh, forgiveness <laughs> if right. you uh, buy me a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, like, it's like you're being absolved of your sins. For, yes, that's for... the word. I'm, yeah. I'm, I should put a little booth button sins. or something up there that slides to where you can make it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you've already worn the, uh, you, you know, like the captain's, uh, you know, hat and, and, and coat. We might as well just have like a, well, I don't want to get sacrilegious, but yeah. You know, you could wear like a deacon's outfit or something, right? I don't think that's that's stretching too much, but you do know, you have a, do you have a boat? Do I have a boat? Yeah, do you have a boat? When we moved to Seattle, um, everybody told me you got to get a boat, <laughs> and so we went out and we bought a nice ski boat. Uh, my daughter was about thirteen or fourteen, and and we thought oh this is great she'll she'll have a great time skiing and stuff and she got into softball and into uh soccer and uh all kind of sports and never had time to go skiing water skiing and so <laughs> the two happiest days of my life were the day we bought the boat and the day we sold the boat they say it's a what is it is it's a hole in the water you throw money into i believe it's exactly yeah. that's exactly right so we did own a boat for a while but uh but no more I hear Ken. Ken has he's on a boat all the time, is what I Ken's hear. Ken's gone through quite a few boats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were actually going to ask if if you've been on the uh, been on Ken's boat. If there's any any crazy stories that have kind of come out of that, you know, we're not talking like you know Minnesota Viking scandal level or anything, but you know, no, I, I don't have any of those stories. But uh, but he does have a nice boat, and he is a good he's a cruiser, uh, and uh, uh, the boat that he has now is a little bit smaller because he wants to go uh, around the inside passage through Florida and, mm -hmm. and up in St. Lawrence Seaway and down the Mississippi. Uh, but uh, the boat he had before that was a, like it looked like an ocean going fishing trawler. Um, yeah. It was a you know big, huge, substantial uh, boat that was geared to cross oceans. And they, Japan, that's what I heard, yeah. they sailed from Seattle to Japan. They sailed from Florida to Spain. They've sailed, um, uh, uh, around the Mediterranean and, and, um, and pretty much doing it just the two of them. So yeah. I admire them for that. That's a, takes a lot of gumption. Yeah. Well. <laughs> 
I mean, that's a, that's a commitment, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's like, it's like when someone gets somebody a puppy for Christmas, that's not a gift. That's a commitment. You know? <laughs> well, he, he also loves to debug things, you know, I mean, that was one of the reasons he was a good programmer was that uh, he was a good debugger and uh, boy, the, you know, the boats got so many things that can go wrong. And uh, so he's constantly, oh, how do I fix this? I've got to do this. I got to come up with something like, and, uh, and, you know, and if you're out in the middle of the ocean, you know, you can't just call for uh, parts to be delivered. You know, it's not, um, yeah, anyway. Well, it sounds like he's better at the boat management than delivering you a game of blackjack, because I remember you saying that didn't it take almost two to three weeks for you to debug his work uh, when, <laughs> when he did that? He, he wrote a game of blackjack in a day. And it took me a week to debug it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> well, before we get too far away from uh, just the, the prospect of gaming, one of our first fan questions we wanted to ask for the night was, uh, they're specifically asking if you still play video games. If not, when did you decide to move on from them? I was really interested in video games in the 70s. Uh, I, around 1980 when I bought an Apple II. Um, I love playing games. And um, I, I, when I started programming games full-time, when I started working in the industry, then suddenly it ruined playing games for enjoyment because instead of, of, of uh, having fun, I was doing market research. And yeah. um, it kind of took the joy away from it. You know, I mean, I still played games. I still like Monkey Island and Ron Gilbert's games and, and, and you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the other stuff that we play. Space Quest, all those yeah. games and stuff. I enjoyed those. But, um, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of stopped uh, playing for enjoyment. And then after I got out of the industry, um, I pretty much stopped playing. I'll play a few casual games on my phone, but that's about it these days. I don't even, I don't own a, I haven't owned a console. But the last console I owned was a 3DO. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got one of those upstairs right now. That's pretty retro. Huh? Yeah. yeah. I got, which one are you, the Panasonic or the Gold Star? You know what I'm talking about? Like this. No, I don't know. I, 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 one of it's I, a square and another's a rectangle. So I got it when it first came out. It, I, okay. You know, Probably got the same one I got then. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy you brought up the idea of uh, the well, the Apple II and consoles because we wanted to play a little bit of a game with you. Now, this is a this is a very low risk game. I just want to preface uh -oh. it first. Um, but what we wanted to do is actually revisit some of the computers that you actually worked with in your time. Uh, well, and I, I don't want to say in your time, but stuff that you worked with on the early side of video game development. Because uh, for those that don't know the story. Uh, and I, I don't want to necessarily talk for you, but I, if if I remember correctly, didn't you actually learn how to program because of a, a chicken pox outbreak? Is that correct? <laughs> well, not so much an outbreak as my son went to <laughs> nursery school and uh, two weeks later had the chicken pox. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I literally brought it home the first week from nursery school. And yeah. um, two weeks after that, I had it. And man, mm -hmm. I had it everywhere. And you couldn't touch a place on my body that didn't have pox um so i was sick as a dog for a week uh and this is back in the time before there was uh cable tv or you know uh, uh any sort of streaming or anything we had three channels of tv and um we had some books and magazines but i'd read them all 
Um, and so uh, we happen to have a, a, a programming manual for basic, DEC basic, mm -hmm. that uh, I got from the school district because I was thinking of doing an application. And um, with nothing else to do, I thought, well, maybe I could go through this manual and see what's in there. And by the time the week was over, I uh, uh, felt like I, I could learn to program. I mean, it didn't seem that hard. It seemed pretty logical. So, uh, which of course is by definition that it is logical. <laughs> no wonder it seems that way. But but anyway, so I, I spent uh, a week reading, and then um, I had a project, uh, and I knew exactly what the input was, and I knew exactly what the output should look like, and so it was the perfect uh, programming uh, first uh, effort because. Um, if it wasn't right, I, I knew it. And so I, uh, I started in within uh, a couple of weeks, I had programmed the first music festival scoring uh, software. Uh, it was pretty crude, but it worked. And, uh, uh, and we were the first uh, festival that, that uh, in California at that time uh, was very, uh, band reviews were a big thing. Uh, and many high schools went to many different uh, contests, uh, and they were traditionally scored by a lot of band parents with uh, adding machines and notepads and and maybe note cards, um, uh, and a lot of mistakes were made. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so uh, I thought it would be good to thing to computerize, and so that's what I did. That was my first computer program, and um, and when it came down to be t it. It was tested under fire because we had a uh, competition in November, and um, and I'm pleased to say it worked flawlessly. So that was good. And yeah. later on, I polished it up, made it look better, and we ended up selling it to other schools and things. And uh, it was it was fun. That was the way I got into programming. But <laughs> but I guess the moral of that story is if you want to learn to program, have a specific task in mind that you know the beginning and you know the data the input what goes in you know exactly what comes out and uh, uh and that's the best way to learn yeah and I that's kind of, yeah. i just put like 10 print you know i rule and then 20 go to 10 you know that was my basic experience at school just to <laughs> yeah. do well, every computer. you know that that's the way all of us start and it's just a matter of building on top of that you know it's like <laughs> brick lane you know you just put one brick down and you put another brick down and you just pretty soon you got a building well, I, I was looking really forward to this because uh, on this show, Al, we've we've done uh, adjusting for inflation quite a few times, whether it's with uh, initial movie sales or um, video game sales, whatever it might be. And in this case, we wanted to look at some of this technology that you would have worked with in the early days. And we're going to kind of go prices right style. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about these specific devices and one, okay. We want to know if you can determine or at least get close to what the initial sale price would have been for these products when they came out. Oh, gosh. So, okay. So we're going we're gonna to kick okay. things off. Yeah, we'll kick things off here with the Atari 8-bit. What do you think that originally ran for in terms of its uh, Which sale Atari 8-bit? This would have been... I had both an Atari 800 and an Atari 400. Okay, we, we'll, let's go with the. I have for the four hundred. Uh, I'm I'm gonna say around five hundred dollars. Okay, it seems to me like it was maybe more than that because uh, the eight hundred was a thousand, I think. 
Perfect. Okay. Well, we'll tell you what. We'll we'll give you the answer in real time. You were actually yeah. extremely close. It was five fifty on the dot. Uh, okay. Which I'll take which, that. Yeah. Which in today's dollars would be one thousand one thousand nine hundred sixty dollars. So two grand. Yeah. Yeah. When you adjust for worth inflation, every penny. Wow. <laughs> worth every penny. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna move to the Amiga one thousand. How much do you think that cost? I never owned an Amiga 1000, but I know they were more expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say like uh, 1300. Wow. Oh, oh, geez. $1,295. Ah, you're, you're five off. Bucks. Come on. <laughs> off only five. So, so I'm going to give you both so far because that's, that's ridiculously close to both numbers. Uh, when when we adjust that one for inflation, we'd be looking at three thousand one hundred dollars. Wow, that makes me. Nate, what were we gonna say? That makes me think a little bit. Are you gonna ask him about how much a PC Junior cost back then? Um, I don't because, have I don't have the PC Junior. See, that would be more my question because I know there was a deal with between Sierra and IBM to develop for the PC Junior, which obviously was a huge flop. Sure. Um, I mean, the games well, were great. The deal wasn't a huge flop. No, the deal was great. I'm Junior was a flop. The right. deal turned out to be Ken's salvation because yeah. what he negotiated with IBM was, we'll get this game done for you in time for you to show it at the premiere of the product, mm -hmm. but I get to keep the engine. Yeah. And that became King's Quest, became all those games and Larry and Police Quest and all that other stuff. All that came out of that original deal for the PC Junior. So... PC Junior was good to us. It was yeah. uh, not good for IBM, particularly. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, I mean, you know, from what I looked at it, you you composed the music for for both of the first two, or just the second one? I believe this second one for sure. Um, uh, second one, one. Second King's Quest. I'm sorry. Yes, I did, and my wife did the third one. Yeah. yeah. Um, which. I was kind of like when, when we when we talked about bringing you on here, like I'm, I'm a guest, like Mark brings me as a guest because I'm a huge, huge nerd. And when I was thinking of people to bring in on this, like you were one of the very first because I've always wanted to. I mean, I never thought in my life that you would ever be someone so accessible that I could actually talk yeah. to you. You're just this guy. Well, on the Yeah, I was thinking I was at the bottom of the barrel. So oh, <laughs> you had exhausted all the good people. Well, I, you know, so far, I'm, I'm just going to say this. You're already, you know two for two on our in our our game and i have full faith you're going to be four four you know because <laughs> but we're, let's let's we'll go through this and then we'll kind of uh shift into something else but i wanted to pick the last two in this list because of it being fairly close to you in the early days uh the salt 20. now oh. what do we think the salt 20 sold for originally well originally it's funny because I had, uh, that's not the right way to say it. I didn't own, I had access to a SAL 20 that was given to our school district because uh, they went out of business and, uh, and and nobody wanted it. And at the school district, everybody looked at it and they said, what the hell is that? What, what, that's nothing. Um, and so I said, well, I'll take it. Let me, let me try it. So I took it home and I actually used it with its little walnut sideboards. It, it had <laughs> solid walnut sideboards on it, like crazy. Um, but I'm going to guess it was an S100 bus. And well, depending on if you bought RAM or not. 
because mm. when I took it home, I tried to type in a program and I couldn't do it because it didn't have any memory. It had zero RAM. And so I called the guy up who donated and I said, well, what good is this if it doesn't have any memory? And he said, oh, well, I can uh, I can loan you a memory board. And I said, OK. So I drove out to his office and he pulled out this memory board and it was what, five by eight inches, probably six by eight inches. Um, and it was just covered with RAM chips, just, yeah. you know, big spiders everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I, I, he said, this is 4K, 4 kilobytes of RAM. And uh, I said, wow, okay, well, how much does that cost? And he said, $200 for four kilobytes of RAM. So, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, That's a hot deal. I would guess the computer then must have been like in the $1,500, maybe $12. let us go $1,200. I'll go $12. Uh, okay. I actually wish you would have stuck with your first one because I'm gonna, I, I'm willing to give this to you. It was actually $1,495. Well, I said 15 first. And, and, you, but and I, you said 15. But I didn't know how much memory they shipped with it. So if it, if it didn't yeah. have memory... That would have been. I, that's why I knocked it down in price. So. I'm 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 not sure if that accounts for memory. I just remember seeing the uh, that was like the the introductory price. But okay. you know when when we adjust it for the future though, it ends up costing seven thousand two hundred sixty seven dollars fifteen cents. Yeah, and uh, and pretty much worthless. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, for a technology that lasted for about two years, you know, it, that, uh, if that, yeah. <laughs> So, Al, the question we have for the, the last remaining bit of tech here is the Apple II. What do you think that that originally sold for? Well, if you're talking about a complete Apple II, um, I, I, it was up around $2,500. But uh, that would be with a monitor and two disk drives and, and uh, maybe extra memory. So I'm going to say just a raw little box, the little white beige box. Um Probably sixteen hundred. So that one was the only one that we weren't within a, a slim margin on. This would have been one thousand two hundred ninety-eight dollars. Oh, okay, but still, still close though. It's it's almost yeah. like you you've got MSRP memorized. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say three out of four ain't bad. The Apple II, uh, if adjusted for inflation, in the today's dollars would be five thousand five hundred forty-three. So I know that when i convinced my wife that i could uh if she would let us buy a computer that i would make it pay for itself and i remember that i bought two floppy drives and apple i couldn't afford the extra 16k of ram because that was a couple hundred dollars i got a green screen monitor that was like this big nine inches maybe Mm -hmm. uh and um and an mx80 printer and I went into my local store in, in Fresno, California, and they were so busy screwing around with some new game that had come in that they ignored me. And I, they, and as I walked out the door, they said, did you want something? And I was like, no, nah, I'll just go mail order. So I went home and wrote, uh, called the uh, mail order company in uh, Central Point, Oregon, and uh, ordered from there. Uh, and I sp- convinced Margaret to spend a month of our combined salaries all the money the two of us made for one month wow. uh and that was thirty five hundred dollars then so i can't do that uh, even now that's 
That's some negotiating power. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say I'm, I'm a salesman by by trade, Al, and so uh, I mean your your skills sound off the charts with with whatever you use to convince <laughs> her to do that. Hey, um, but I made it pay for itself. Yeah, That's you true. did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, one thing I, I, I did want to mention because um, we do have another fan question here. Since you survived the, the the game here and you did a damn good job of it, we wanted to uh, ask you a question that. Uh, one of the fans was asking about games like Leisure Suit Larry, you know, King's Quest, and um, some of the adventure games just in general. But from your exposure to modern gaming, uh, do you think that video games don't take enough chances compared, you know, to the, the the makeup that a Sierra game would typically have? You know, I'm the wrong person to ask because when I got out of gaming 25 years ago. Um, I just kind of gave up on the whole business. Um, I watch a lot of movies. I read a lot of books. I don't play a lot of video games anymore. So I, I, I just, I, I'm not really a good, um, a, a good resource for that. But uh, uh, I do know that one thing that Ken Williams did that I don't see being done today was he, he, um, he practiced the baseball philosophy of hit them where they ain't. You know, mm -hmm. if there's <laughs> if there's an opening in center field, you aim, aim, hit the ball there. Uh, and that was what he did with games. When he saw that there weren't uh, uh, comedy games, he encouraged us to write comedies. When he saw when there wasn't a Western game, uh, he encouraged me to write a Western game. Um, a, a, a police quest. Uh, literally, but there were no police games, no kind of procedurals and anything like that. There was no um, uh, uh, flight simulator. Uh, he he beat Microsoft out uh, to the market with a flight simulator game back for the Commodore 64. So, I mean, a lot of those things uh, came about because he was trying to do things that didn't exist. Whereas today, it seems to me that the majority of uh, publishers are trying to do something like something that exists, only a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's when you lose the creativity. Do you think, I mean, one thing about, I think, with most recent gaming is that you don't see as many of the point-and-click adventures. I mean, it's kind of been, I don't say phased out, I think, in a lot of ways. Well, I think it's been absorbed by the other uh, genres. You know, all the stuff that we did with inventory and with conversation trees and and uh, 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 inventory management and, and maps, map skills and all that stuff, all, all that has now been integrated into other games. So, um, you know, a game that just does that isn't as uh, exciting anymore. Yeah, the, the third person RPG specifically, I mean, pretty much took all of the the precursors from you know text-based games, the yeah. uh, you know the the, the uh, parser games, you know the uh, all the point-and-click. Yeah, they, the, it just seemed like it was perfect for this new RPG world we're kind of living in now. Um, and and that, and I guess that's a good uh, thing to to mention to you, Al, was seeing where point-and-click kind of evolved into. Because have you have you looked at any of the uh, the Telltale games? Uh, series at all like any of their properties uh no no i haven't okay. i think what he's trying to say is he doesn't play computer games much anymore but he's aware of the, i think the industry and what they're doing but mm -hmm. 
Well, there's a, there's a reason I asked the question because uh, in an interview, Al, at one point, you mentioned that you, you stated you thought that the future of games would become more like movies and, and that we would end up having... That was a long time ago. Yep. <laughs> That's an yep. old interview. <laughs> yep. And, yep. and I wanted to, that the reason why I wanted to ask you about Telltale Games specifically is because it actually mirrors a lot of what you had mentioned for the exception of uh, customizing your characters. And so in a lot of ways, these Telltale games uh, take very popular properties. Now, Monkey Island was one of the properties they first started with. And mm -hmm. it's a very cinematic experience where the character plays a small part, um, you know, in, in determining where things go. And there's a lot of branches based off of, like you mentioned, dialogue options and things of that nature. So I would say that point and click didn't necessarily pass away or... or or anything like that but it definitely evolved into what this is now which is pretty much like an interactive movie um it's so they they definitely dropped some of the traditional things like you mentioned with you know whether it's a command prompt or picking up items and getting creative with them but i i think that's kind of where it lives now and nate you may agree with me or not on that you know I yeah, I'm probably getting to the point where I was getting with with video games and video games, computer games in general, is that I'm really craving the things that I used to used to play when I was younger, back when they seemed like they were more fun. Because I'm kind of getting, I think, past a point where I feel like I can either invest the time or just invest the interest in those kinds of things. Um, so you know, the games that have, that Al has made sort of bring back the magic to me a little bit because they're the same. They were they were fun then. They're still fun now. Um, well, you know we. I worked hard to make the games fun, uh, uh, to make them funny, and to make them uh, interesting. Um, you got to remember, none of us knew what the hell we were doing. You know, we were just guys. I was a school teacher. Jim Walls was a cop. Uh, Roberta was a housewife. I'm, I mean, nobody. Well, I think Jane might have been a real writer, but uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, the, the, we didn't know what we were doing. And and when we programmed games and game design and all that stuff i remember trying to buy a book about game design uh, and that was oh gosh that must have been late 80s and there wasn't any and mm -hmm. now hell there are college courses you can take and and uh so it's a i mean it's a good thing i think it's gotten better but we did the best we could you know considering we were working with um uh, uh, you know, large rocks and bear skins or something. Yeah, it was just, you know, pretty crude elements back in those days. Basically, well, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we did. What when I wanted to make music on the Apple II computer, you know how I did it? I mm -hmm. pushed the speaker cone, gave it a positive voltage, and okay. then I delayed at 880th of a second and then i pulled a negative voltage on the speaker cone and i delayed an 880th of a second and i did that over and over again and that makes an a440 so oh, okay now literally i was pushing the speaker cone by hand uh, uh, uh well obviously digitally but but uh, i mean we only had three we had an accumulator and two registers i mean it was just Boy, it was so, so limited. And, uh, you know, if you were going to do that, you couldn't do anything else. So a, a lot of that stuff is really, uh, and oh God, and, and tools, the tool sets today 
are so easy and so sophisticated. I mean, that's why games are more complex than that. But but uh, back then, my God, we I remember uh, I spent hours uh, putting up like a four cell animation uh, because we hadn't figured out that um, objects need to have a fixed location. And we ended up calling that an origin point, but I think the real term in, in animation is a registration mark. Mm -hmm. So the, we finally learned that the guys, if they would draw a, an orange dot down here, uh, then we would put that in the right place. And then all we'd line up all the orange dots. So then mm -hmm. the animation would do this. But before it was doing it would the next cell would be over here and the next cell would be over there. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, yeah. no, no, I'm supposed to go that way. So, so, so I, I mean, it it, uh, it took hours to do things that uh, you know now take seconds to. It, do. Well, and it was revolutionary for the time to use the y-axis to create um, the ability to go behind objects because that that was fake, fake 3D. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's what we <laughs> did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so do you, I, yeah. Do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions about, well, a couple about the game specifically, some of the ones I know you worked on, but then also like I had, like, I've been nerding out totally about all of this like video game music stuff. And so um, can you walk me a little bit through maybe your composition process when writing this? Because I mean, it's kind of very, it's different in a way than like programming a game, but like the MT32 didn't come out, I think until what, like mid 80s? Oh, like later 80s, than that. 87, maybe? I think it was when they first came Probably 87, yeah. 88. And so how did that like how did that change like the process of making all of this game music? I mean, it added a whole world of things you could put into it. Well, um, let's see. The first game I worked on for the uh, PC Junior, which was revolutionary for its time because it had three sound channels right in other words you could play three notes at one time mm -hmm. plus a noise channel it just made white noise but you could make it a cymbal or a drums you know or whatever so so uh writing for the pc junior um i wrote a series of assembly language macros that uh took numbers and made them uh, i basically turned numbers into uh notes so i could look at a piece of music and write a flat and uh c and d and then i would give it a number of the next digit would be the number which was uh the number of uh i think it was the number of eighth notes uh that that note was held for uh but i i wrote a i developed a shorthand in order to program the music for it that's where we started when midi i remember when midi came out and, and we all just went, oh, my God, this is the answer. This is the future. You know, look, holy cow, I can do this. Well, we bought a, a MIDI sequencer program from a company, um, and it only ran on a Macintosh 512. Okay. That's it. It wouldn't work on any other machine. And you had to leave the original floppy disk in the drive because periodically it would go out and access that drive, and if it didn't find the... the um, hidden uh, 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 error message, you know, they, they hit an error on the drive, so it would throw an error. And um, uh, if it didn't find that on the drive, then it knew, oh, this is an illegal copy, and it would stop working. 
So, so we worked for, I don't know, months using that sequencer to sequence notes. So you could play a note into a keyboard and actually have it store it and then play it back for you. That was, that was marvelous. Uh, until the floppy wore out and we called the company up and said, Hey, you know, we've been using this thing and it works okay, but the floppy, the floppy disk is worn out. Can you send us another disk? And they said, no, you have to buy a new copy of the program for another $800. Wow. And wow. I was like, well, screw you. <laughs> That's, what kind of customer? Well, obviously they went out of business quickly, you know, that they sure. were gone. But that's the, that was what we the kind of tools that we had to work with back then. So composition for me was uh, uh, um, in several forms, but but like uh, the setup I used to compose the Larry One music uh, was a uh, Yamaha DX7 synthesizer keyboard. Okay, uh, I had a, a Roland uh, MT32. I had a a um, Oh gosh, what was the name of that sampler? We had a sampler company that made that sold samples. It was an expensive piece of gear. I can't remember what it cost, but but it was it was a big thing. Uh, and then um, some anyway. So uh, uh, all that stuff was I would record down, but I would uh, be able to save off either a one voice or a three voice or a five voice or ten voice, whatever it was. Um, uh for the various games and stuff so keep my mt32 right here just there you go look at that man <laughs> actually it had a message on here from uh legion suit larry one what did it say hey baby what's your sign <laughs> as soon as you turn the game on so i don't know if that was one of yours or not i think that was the week we discovered that you could pump messages to the mt32 right. <laughs> And I so, figured it. I figured it would have said something like, "This guy just bought a non-lube candy cane stripe mid-flavored extra small condom or something like that." You know, but, uh, you know, we uh, uh, like, like the bodily function keys. I added bodily function keys because um, the system programmer gave us the access to uh, be able to use function keys, and we never had that in the earlier games. And so it was like, well, what? function key what the hell when i what can i do with function key so i made them bodily function keys <laughs> sound effects on well anything, okay, so anything to get a laugh if i remember correctly because for nate and i the theme to leisure suit larry one has pretty much been in our ears now for the last several decades and <laughs> is it is it true that you you made this in about 20 minutes before dinner one evening because I, yeah, I got i got home from uh, uh from sierra's office and uh, Margaret said, you got about 20 minutes before dinner. I go, okay, let me, I got to write a theme song. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, if I, part of it was that I, uh, I got the, in uh, the direction uh, while I was listening to the radio on the way home, because the national public radio had a story about Irving Berlin and how it was his 99th birthday or something. And, and, um, uh, and they played a bunch of his old music. And I, and at that time, in 87 or 86, 87, um, most games were coming out with some kind of techno music or something else. And I thought, well, that doesn't make sense for this game. I mean, this is game, you know, this should be about a, you know, Charlie Chaplin kind of music or something. Definitely has so that feel to it. When I heard yeah. um, Alexander's Ragtime Band, I thought, well, that's kind of old and bouncy and goofy sounding and funny. And 
you know, I could do something like that. So I used a lot of major sixth. If you're a musician, you know, you don't play the major sixth in the chord much, uh, uh, and major thirds, and okay. uh, and a fairly simple chord progression. But you know, if I had, if you had told me then that forty years later somebody would be questioning me about my choices on the music, <laughs> I, I probably would have froze up and never been able to do anything. But. Well, they turn out to be, I mean, they're iconic. You, you hear it, you know exactly what it's for. I mean, pretty much for any of the the games that were made, um, you know, at Sierra, that, yeah. the soundtracks of them are We major. We got a lot out of the tweaker, you know. <laughs> you had to have a you had to have a strong melody. You know, you couldn't, you didn't have percussion. You didn't have a lot of bass. You didn't have a lot of, you know, the stuff that's popular now. Mm -hmm. um, you, it had to be a melody because 95% what do you think? Hundred, hundred percent of the people heard it with just the PC speaker. Yes, and right. Yes, hideous. Yeah. Well, that was us. Well, our experience too. Yes, yeah. exactly. The, the, the first time, the first time we heard the Secret of Monkey Islands, uh, you know, like score through that, it, it was. It, so people have uh, equated it to like hearing the Beatles for the first time. You know, like <laughs> you, you just you hear music that you you clearly recognize, but it's it's like. A, taking a, a game that was in low def and being able to crank it up to high definition and seeing the textures of the water and the yeah. leaves and the trees, you know, it was a completely different experience. And this, this isn't a great segue, but it is one I, I would want to make with you because it's a, it's the last fit in question that I have for you. So Nate and I, you know, we, we were, you, uh, you realize of course that nobody's still listening. <laughs> no, of course not. Gave up on this. Hey, you you'd be surprised out. 30 we, minutes ago, I'm sure. We, we actually have good listenership throughout our episodes. I have analytics to back it up, but Okay, uh, all right, if you but, say so. Yeah, you see now this is another thing Al, that I, I I didn't know if we'd have time for, but self-deprecating is part of the humor that we've adapted to because of your video games. I just got to oh, say well. I mean, right. the, I, I think that's a good form of humor. Yeah, it is. It is I the best. <laughs> but this uh, this fan question uh, kind of reminds me of like West Side Story to an extent, because, you know, we were fans of, you know, Sierra. We were fans of LucasArts. And there are some fans out here who want to know if there was ever uh, dividing lines drawn between the adventure game interpreter or Sierra's creative interpreter and the scum engine that LucasArts would end up using. Did you guys ever have any rivalries that kind of spurred because of just what these games were built on? Uh, yes, but positive ones because uh, we loved their games and they loved ours. And yeah. um, each time we, I mean, one of the, my goals was to do better than what they could do. And, um, and of course we did. I was always uh, offended because um, the scum engine would only had a limited number of places that you could go and yeah. it had these paths that you'd follow and that's all you could do. Whereas our game, you could walk around anywhere and, you know, roam around and bump into stuff and, uh, and there's it. And so we were very proud that we had, you know, flexible pathing and stuff, but, Good Lord. You know? <laughs> no, it was, uh, we looked forward to, uh, one of the benefits, one of the reasons I got into uh, writing games was the free software. I mean, w it was great to swap games with other companies. And yeah. uh, from the very first show that I ever attended, when I um, uh, had took my little Apple II off my desk 
and uh, uh, borrowed a color monitor from one of the schools because I didn't have one and um, uh, went to a gymnasium in San Jose and set up on a Saturday morning to uh, uh, try and sell copies of my little humble little educational games that I wrote. Um, uh, from that first day, uh, people came by and they said, oh, this looks great. Uh, do you want some free games? <laughs> I was like, yeah, do you want my games? Yeah, here. So we, you know, we were, that was a bit, that was a part of the deal was you get more software. You could swap games with people. So, so that's what we did with LucasArts. We always were look forward to getting a package from, uh, from them. And, and we always sent them a package of everything we did too. I didn't realize it was that friendly. I would think it was, you know hard competition like we want to nah. push you out well, or it, it was we were competitive yeah but uh uh you know, spies or anything like that the extent that we wanted to win you know we wanted yeah. to uh, show them up but no it was uh, no because we appreciated what they did it was uh, um, it, i thought it was like circling the parking lot with a pair of binoculars like you know it was back then it was hard work to create a game i mean you, you it it was a lot of long um, drudgery involved, uh, not only for the guy writing and programming, but also for the artists yeah. um, making the stuff. Uh, all that stuff was was um, not trivial. And uh, so, yeah, you appreciated what somebody else had done and, and somebody who did it well. It's kind of my perception on it, too, now that if you look compared to like more modern game development, your studios were a lot more closed off where nowadays they want progress reports in magazines all the time, figuring out where this game is going to be in it. And so a lot of the kind of creativity, yeah. some of the, the niche sorts of things that you guys did, they may not be quite as possible because you'd get that immediate criticism of something and you may not actually do it. And so, you know, when we, we speak about games that were made in the you know eighties, nineties, and some of these areas where you could have more of a privacy in, in the creation um, to an extent, you yeah, see and, and a lot also, better stuff. Also, back in the 80s, there was such a uh, supply shortage. There was a lot of demand for games, and mm -hmm. there weren't many games. And so when a new game came out, boy, uh, you know, people were um, coming into stores looking for it and, and really wanted to know when's the next thing coming out and so forth. And today, good Lord, what is there? A thousand games a day that gets posted? There's shovelware every single day. Shovelware is right. Everywhere. And the other thing too, Al, that I really appreciate about this is that, you know, today's games, you have like a first day update package that's sometimes 12 gigabytes large. And, <laughs> and you guys, you're developing entire experiences that are maybe a megabyte. And Larry One was so big it wouldn't fit on one 360k floppy. <laughs> well, the copy it, I had came on. Listen. It took two 360k floppies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, sure yeah. think of another. So another question, probably just more for my like fan background, but there's some, some of the games took a more serious tone. So obviously with like King's quest or police quest versus like say space quest or, or leisure suit, Larry, uh, they, 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 there's a serious tone all the way through. I mean, you're like, if you talk about like the second one, it's a second King's Quest, there's adventure elements and going into the castle and slaying the beast and all that, you know, and finding the, finding the, you know, the, your future queen and all that. But there were still parts of, it, of humor that permeated each one of these other games. Like 
did you get a lot of input in, into that? Like when you're you're putting it together? Like I'm thinking about like police quests. I go in and one of the first things you can do is go and take a shower, you know, and you're in like this locker room and stuff and you can do all kinds of silly things in there. Like, is was that yours? Um, a lot of police quest one was mine because okay. the two guys that had worked on the game for a year uh, would have never finished it. Um, and, and when I went onto the project, um, it was, uh, Al, you got to go save this thing. And <laughs> that was my approach was, um, I need to clean up the language. I need to, um, put in some hints. I need to make sure that the story, uh, is, uh, grammatically correct and where it needs to be and so forth. Um, uh, so a lot of that stuff I did. So I, yeah, it's entirely possible that I put some of the humor in Police Quest 1, but not in any of the other ones. I uh, I didn't have any input into Roberta's games. Okay. Um, I think uh, I did. Well, I did have one little input at the end of 3 because I was the lead programmer on, on Roberta's uh, third game. And um, she wanted to have the hat go throwing out uh, to Alexander. And, right. And uh, so we kept it spinning up in the air. That was my idea. Okay. And, uh, not necessarily make it uh, uh, tell what the next, what the sequel would be. That's about the only contribution I made to it. I don't think. Because when we were playing. <laughs> I argued with her a lot to keep the damn typing exercises out where you had to type every one of those yeah. spells word for word and, and letter for letter. Um, and any letter that was wrong made everything wrong. And yeah, yeah. it was. It's like draw your gun, aim your gun, shoot your gun kind of thing. Otherwise, if you don't like pull it out or something, like you shoot yourself or yeah. like some of those to me, like it, I, it felt like they were humor elements you guys left in there to make sure people played it, were thorough about it. Because the part that I remember is like we couldn't, there was no cheating on these, like the hint books, you could, we couldn't afford those as kids yeah, if they had right. them. You, so you we would just sit there and save and save and save. It was like, it's, I, what I'm trying to say is I don't think any, I don't think kids nowadays could possibly understand the process that these games took months to beat a lot of the time for us. Yeah. And I think that's probably how you guys designed them was it was supposed to take like nowadays they, they want to beat a game in an afternoon. And if I play through even the older ones, um, I still remember enough of it. Yeah. It'd probably take me about you know, four hours. Um, yeah. I've seen, um, uh, oh, YouTube, uh, uh speed plays. What do they call it? Well, there's a name for them. Speed, speed runs. Yeah. Yeah, speed, speed run, run. yeah speed yeah. runs and uh and i think well yeah but that that's, that's like saying well i'm going to enter these cross-country race but i'm going to use a motorcycle yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. well yeah that yes you got there faster but you missed the whole point you know that's well, not the point so and that's i think that's kind of where nate and i come from on this al is that you know we we played these games at a point in our lives where it was extremely formative to us and I know that your, your background in, in some of the gaming that you, or the development you did in the beginning was, you know, learning based, right. And, and educational, yeah. but for, for us, it became critical thinking and, and starting to look at a 2d world in a 3d way. Right. And, and we were really digging deep into these games. And what I wanted to say, just not to get too emotional here, but is, is to say that this was back in a time when feedback was incredibly difficult to provide. You know, we could write letters and uh, we would try to visit your studios in person, but we just couldn't do it. And we really do appreciate all of the effort that your team, like you and your and the team at Sierra, the effort you put into these games is appreciated. 
it wasn't just appreciated then it's still appreciated now and thank yeah. you that's very nice of you yeah oh yeah and it, well just the amount of of time i have to imagine you spent putting jokes into games you know uh putting hidden things into games you know th there are some easter eggs that probably will never get found because you're you're so creatively off the charts so <laughs> we just have to thank you for that and um and and to be mindful of your time too i i, I always like to make sure that at the end we save a little bit of time as well for um for anything that's kind of going on right now that you'd like us to plug or anything you'd like us to to introduce to our listeners oh no the only thing is if 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 they've stayed around this long they should go to my website uh, it's allo.com six letters a l l o w e um and uh i have just hundreds of of uh pages of uh uh stories from the old days uh, inside stories about Sierra development, about, you know, different, different things back besides all the humor. I mean, there's a bunch of humor there too. And, mm -hmm. um, uh, so go to the website and everything is free. You can download, uh, any music that I still have. That's that I could steal from, uh, uh various places. Um, uh, I have a lot of sound effects that I kept around and stuff. There's a lot of stuff there to, to help yourself download it and enjoy it. And, um, uh, and sign up for the joke list. Cyber, cyber, cyber joke three thousand uh, is uh, uh, still available. I've been doing it for twenty two years, and and uh, I don't know. I I've got at least a year's supply of jokes left. So uh, if you if you enjoy getting two jokes a day, one of which is clean, um, I think you'll enjoy that. It's been a pleasure talking with you guys. This was fun. Yeah, no, yeah. this has been, uh, I mean, it's one of those things that growing up, I never would have imagined at all that I would ever talk to anybody involved in the production of it, let alone you. Well, so, who knew there was going to be TV phones? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I wish I would have patented that one. I, know. <laughs> I wanted flying cars, but at least we had TV phones. <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I've always got one last question left in me, Al. And, and this is actually our last fan question. And Al, believe it or not, you do have a lot of fans out there. So the last question they have, is there a red telephone that you have in, in, the, in the perspective of like Batman, right? Or these old superheroes, when someone would call during an emergency that kind of brings you back into the action, right? We always jokingly talk about this with my dad too. Is there a phone that will ring one day that would inspire you to get back into the fight. And the question is, is there a phone that might ring one day for you to get back into video games? And would you pick up that phone? Um, no, I, I'm, uh, I've been happily retired for 25 years. I'm, uh, I'm going to stick with it. It's the best thing. I, uh, um, it's the best job I've ever had. Um, you know, they don't tell you when you're growing up. Um, retirement is highly underrated. <laughs> yeah. I want to really retire right now. You let me yeah. know. It's, it's really a lot of fun. I mean, it's, uh, um, uh, I like to say every day is Saturday. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> yeah. So, no, I don't think you'll see any more games from me, but, uh, uh, but I had fun. It was real fun while I, uh, while it lasted. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. And, and I enjoyed people, um, uh, who, who actually paid for my games. <laughs> hey, I never had a chance to. I was making a dollar a day back, you know, a dollar a week back then. I couldn't afford it. Hey, 
from what I've heard on a good authority, Nate, there, there's a way you can absolve your sins. And I think I know how to get you there. So we'll, we'll, we'll I definitely fully plan on making a donation. That's all I ask. Buy me a yeah, buy this man a damn coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks all so much. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank so, you. Hey, everyone. This is Joe in editing mode. And on behalf of myself, Mark, and our guest host, Nate, we'd like to thank you for listening to Digital Dissection and our interview with Al Lowe. As always, we appreciate all that the Dissection crew does for us week after week. Your support really does go a long way. And if you happened upon the show by accident today, why not drop us a review or leave a comment on the show? We also love hearing from you. So feel free to message us over at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. We welcome your ideas for future shows and, well, really anything else that to discuss. We've got time. And until next time, keep on dissecting. <laughs>